What up, what up, what up, what up? Welcome to the 29th episode of Two Riders Slingin' Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, former ESPN columnist, author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, and a columnist for The Athletic. The music you're listening to is Croissant's Master by the great MC White Owl. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from journalism to songwriting to screenwriting to novels to romance to comics to whatever genre I'm thinking of. And today's guest is Chip Scoggins, the Minneapolis Star Tribune sports columnist and a man who has covered preps, University of Minnesota football, Minnesota Timberwolves basketball, Minnesota wild hockey, on and on and on. And today we're talking a lot about column writing, how to do it, how to do it well, how emotions and love and anger impact your writing. We'll also hit up on a little Randy Moss here, a little upcoming Minnesota Super Bowl there. Tip and I met in a Panera in St. Paul, so don't be alarmed if you hear people being annoying in the background. It's real, it's cold as hell, and it's now on Two Writers Slinging Yang. All right, so Chip, first, uh, I do appreciate you doing this. We're sitting in a Panera in St. Paul, St. Paul, right? Yes, we're in St. Paul. Um, are you a frequent, uh, are, you, are you a coffee shop writer? I am not. You, you, I'm 46 years old and have never had a cup of coffee in my life. What? Yeah. Honest. True story. So where do you, uh, before I even go into it, where do you write? Uh, either at home, office, or if I'm at the Vikings, I write Vikings. If I'm at, you know, the Wolves, I'll stay there work in their press room. So I, I never really go to coffee shops or anything like that to, to write. You can write at home. Oh, yeah. You can sit and you, you have yeah. to be disciplined to yeah. not turn on the TV, open the fridge. Yeah, like when I when I want to write, I focus in. I don't have the TV. I don't get up and walk around. I don't go throw tennis balls with the dog. I mean, I you know, I right. devote that time to writing. So I'm, I'm not one of those guys that gets distracted if I'm, you know, at home by myself. Right. And you still go in the office? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like... I'm That's a, old school. I may be old school like that. I, I sort of like the camaraderie yeah. of being around other writers and just kicking around ideas. Hey, you know, what, what are you working on? And it's amazing. I still find... I know some people just hate the office. Will not go... Yeah. I always you, hate the you know, office, yeah, One yeah. time a year, they'll show up to, you know, clean up their mailbox. But I, I still find value in... Because I don't have to go to meetings, right? Right. Uh, but I still find value in just talking shop with guys, and and every now and again you get a story idea out of it. Yeah. It's like, hey, just talking sports or whatever, right. and uh, and story ideas pop up. So I still go downtown uh, Minneapolis probably three times a week. That's amazing. Yeah. And you actually do work in the office too? Absolutely. Yeah. So one thing I found, like um, I told you before we started, I, I started my career at the Tennessee. Yeah. And the Tennessean, from the time I got there till now, it's sort of a depressing downfall of yeah. cutbacks and slashing and cutbacks and slashing. They just sold the newsroom, so they're moving to a small. And I find that the newsroom, for many people, has become sort of a reminder of the downfall of newspaper. Yeah. And they want to avoid it at all costs. You do not. No, and it's it's uh, it's interesting because we, at the start of me, we just uh, we moved buildings, I think it's been three years now, because the Vikings' new stadium, they bought our land. How oh, funny. So we had, I don't know how many blocks that were there, but there's a new Wells Fargo Tower there now. There's a public park there now that people see that uh, will be kind of a centerpiece when the Super Bowl comes this, uh, in February. So we moved into a high-rise Capella Towers in downtown, more towards downtown. And it's not your uh, traditional newsroom. Uh-huh. If you walk in there, there's cubicles you can't see across the, right. you can't see photo, you can't see business from sports department. So it's, it's different, but I still, um, I, I still, to me, just being around other journalists and, and, and talking about story ideas, I still, I, I like it. I find value in that. Do you still believe in newspapers? Absolutely. You do? 100%. Do you still read print? Yeah. Do you still get the newspaper Absolutely. to your house? I, 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 every day I get it. I like having it in my hands. Um, I know... For what's it been ten years now that people tell us newspapers are gonna die, and I don't know if we'll still have the same uh, format ten years from now. Yeah. But there's still you still need content providers. You right. still need, uh, and I think there's enough people that like me. Maybe we're dinosaurs that like having the hard copy in my hands reading right. it. Right. And so I, I I still think there's stuff that newspapers do stories takeouts investigative pieces that you're not going to find other places yeah I agree with um, that. and we always joke that when you do a big piece whether it's a double truck a big takeout whatever it just looks good in print versus yeah. on a computer yeah 
I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I have I have gotten used to the idea. I have gotten used to seeing things on, like I'm writing a, a weekly column for The Athletic now, yeah. the new sports yeah, site, yeah. and I see it and I think, ah, I'm good with that. I don't <laughs> need the print. I, for a long time, I needed the print satisfaction. I'm okay without it. You know, it's interesting because The Athletic has come into Minneapolis yeah. and they, uh, you know, their first hire was our hockey writer, Michael yeah. Russo, who's, you know, to me, the best hockey writer in North America. I mean, right. He's just incredible and he has a huge following, but I, I think there's room for both. Yeah. And, and I think there's room for newspapers. I think there's room for online. There's just so much content people will read. It's not like an either or to me. Right. I think people will read both. Right. They'll I read agree. Three things. Yeah. And so I, that's why I think. I know we have to evolve and change. We have to figure out how to make money digitally right. and all that. But um, I, I just I don't think. I will tell you this. Like at Star Tribune. We're adding, not subtracting, in terms of our staff. We just hired Chris Hine, who's the, the Blackhawks writer for uh, Chicago Tribune, to be our. They created a new position, an analytics writer. So he's going to focus on analytics and putting a face on uh, numbers to tell a story. And so right. that's encouraging. It's very encouraging yeah. that you're adding and not subtracting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so you're a uh, you've been a columnist since through 2011. Yep. You're excellent. Uh, I read your stuff. I like your stuff. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Um, there's one I want to talk about to start yeah. with, and it uh, it goes back uh, actually to 2011. You wrote a piece um, about uh, Jerry Kale, who at the time was the coach of the University of Minnesota football team, and a 10-year-old girl named Mia Gerald. Yeah. Gerald. Yeah. Who's still alive? Yes. And um, you wrote about it. she was a girl with brain cancer, and I, I just want to read the lead real quick. It was a uh, 10-year-old Mia Gerald is attending her first Gophers football game Saturday, and we have the best seat in the house. She's leading the team onto the field at TCF Bank Stadium at the request of Coach Jerry Kill. Uh, they are two peas in a pod, tender-hearted but tough enough to battle cancer head-on. And then you talk about how she was diagnosed yeah. with cancer. And um, it's interesting. It's, it's really well done. But I wonder, how do you tell these stories, a story like this, without delving into the cliche of, oh, it's a kid with cancer, how yeah. sad, and the team, like, because the story itself has been told a million times. Yeah. So how do you go about telling a story like that and not just becoming cliche, coach kid, heartworm? Yeah, it's, it's this one I, I, I found different because, um, you know, Mia, that, that brain tumor that she has, very few kids survive that. I mean, it's almost always fatal. How do you even find out about her, was it? Well, um... I was out at a practice, uh, a fall practice, and he, she was out there with her mom and, and uh, great family, by the way. And and um, she hugged, talked to Jerry afterwards, hugged him, and I just asked somebody, "Oh, who's that?" And he's like, "Oh, it's a, you know, it's a girl he befriended, you know, was sick with cancer." And um, and then I found out that he had asked her to lead his team. His very first game in Minnesota, he asked her to lead the team onto the field. As they ran out together, I'm like, whoa, I've got to be able to, right. I've got to be able to write that. And uh, so I asked Jerry, and he's like, ah, I don't know. And he said, let's let's talk to the mom. And uh, so they went through her, Sandy, and and she said yes. And I said, well, I'd like to come over to your house. So we went over to their house. And uh, just, when you say I want to come over to your house, do you are you do you feel? I feel like as a journalist, you oftentimes invite yourself to do things. Yeah. I'm going to come to your house. Can I take your picture? Blah, 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 blah. Like, are you, is it uncomfortable or just like? No, because I, 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 I talked to her on the phone, I believe, um, a few days before. And I said, if, if you're not comfortable 100%, that's, that's totally understand it. And, and, and no, you know, right. I, I won't push it. And they're like, no, we want to share her story. She's, a, you know, just an unbelievable story. Um, great kid. And, um, and so I went to her house and, and I just fell in love with this little girl i mean she was so uh alive she came out one time i mean she had me in tears she came out and she's like she showed me her x-rays and she's like yeah and here's you know here's where my tumor was and you could see it and then she said and here's where it shrunk and and she's just so uh was she matter of fact about it sort of yeah. sort of but she was very upbeat and positive and uh she had told me about how Jerry asked her to address the team at a team meeting. And I said, you know, what did you say? Because you're 10 years old talking to 20, you know, just intimidating. And she wasn't the least bit. She went and, and brought out her speech and read it like this is what she said. And I was like, this kid is just mature beyond her years. And probably because of everything she went through. And uh, so just through, you know, through that, like this is, uh, it's a different story because, uh, the relationship that they had was 
totally genuine. I mean, right. the first time they met, he, he had to go out, out of his office, and he comes back, and she's sitting in her chair swirling around in his office chair, and he's like, I love this kid. He was a cancer survivor, correct? He, yeah, yeah. Right. And kind of a postscript, it's, it's just, and I have a good relationship with Jerry, you know, it announced today that he has to retire again from Rutgers for health reasons. He had more um, more seizures. He has epilepsy, and so mm-hmm. his health failed him again, and so he was there one year, and today he announced he has to retire again from uh from uh, from coaching, but it, you know this girl just her chances of survival were not great with right. that with that tumor because they they told her mom is you know they they did the the radiation but if it comes back there's no second radiation it just there's nothing they can do for you right and uh, and it is interesting so I I, that, I ran that in 2011 and I think the other thing that struck me Jeff is she is. Um, a couple weeks older or younger than my oldest, than my daughter. Okay. And I think that's what sort of resonated with me is like, you know, this, my daughter's the same age, could be her. Right. You know? Right. But unfortunately, Mia has something, you know, so I think that's, to me, that's probably what stuck with me. It's just like, I kept thinking, guys, this could be my daughter. Right. Who's the same age. But the really cool thing is, um, was it two years ago or three years ago? I did a follow-up with No, it. last year. That was it last June, year. June uh, 6, 2016. Minneapolis uh, is this Minneapolis South's Mia Jarrell, the miracle kid. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I, I, I'd, uh, I, I, after the story for, you know, a couple of years, I would email with her mom a couple times a year, just, hey, you know, how you guys are doing, blah, blah, blah. And we have a mutual friend, and he they go to church with him, and he, he'd always give me updates and whatnot. And uh, so I go to watch her play softball, and she's a really good softball player. Uh-huh. And uh, High I, school well, kid now? High school, yeah. yeah. And she was a freshman playing on varsity. And uh, so I go, I go out there, and I'm like, which one is she? She, she had grown up so much. Right. And, I, and I, I couldn't tell which one she was right off the bat. And, you know, they all had their yeah. visors on and glasses. And I see her, and she came right up and gave me a hug. And it's like, she was just a normal freshman girl right. last year. And uh, it's just, she has a miracle because, I mean, she, her... When you wrote that column... Yeah. Did you kind of did you kind of assume in the back of your head this girl would not survive? Um, no, because I think she had already... Um, cleared the hard part because um, it it hadn't come back and all her scans had been all her scans had been cleaned and I think she'd had I don't know how many it was but for a couple years I think they had they had been clean and so they were they were optimistic that it it wouldn't come back and I think once you get older um, you just have a better chance of surviving it right Um, how much does emotion like how much does emotion play? Obviously, when you're covering a team, like you covered the Timberwolves, you covered yeah, the yeah. Wild, you covered college football, and whether you like a player or hate a player, even though it's unrealistic to think it'll ever affect you, it can't come into coverage. But I'm saying, like, as a columnist, how much does love, hate, emotion play into what you're writing? Um, a lot. It yeah. should, because I think you, as any writer worth his salt should be passionate about, and you're a human being too, and it, especially if you're dealing with something like this, a sick kid. And you have kids, or even if you don't have kids, it's hard not to. You know, I, I remember writing it, just having tears in my eyes, thinking, you know, this is a pretty amazing thing that's happening to this girl. And when she led that team on the field, I mean, I had like goosebumps and tears in my eyes. You did. Thinking, you were at the game. Yeah, because it was the um, the story ran on uh, that Saturday, the day Jerry kills opener, and. And just getting to know her and what all that meant, and then seeing her lead that team yeah. on the field, it's like, holy cow, how do you not, you know, get emotional about that? But, um, but just to, you know, uh, in general, yeah, you're a human, so you're gonna, if, if something pisses you off, you're gonna be, you're gonna write it that way. Right? Like, what's something that's pissed you off that you've written about? Um, and would you let, let me ask you this? I, I like, I'll, I'll take, I'll make it easier yeah, on you. Yeah. You're writing about the Vikings, yeah. and let's say Randy Moss is a complete yeah. asshole to you, yeah. or whoever is yeah. an asshole to you. Yeah. Can that impact? Oh yes, without doubt. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 uh, now I, I covered Randy a second time back here. When he was beat, awful. As a beat guy, not right. a columnist, so then you can't really, you have to straddle that line. You can't right. that, but um, yeah, I mean, there, when he came back here, it was just 
a nightmare. He was awful, right? Yeah, and it is. It, we had the opening press conference with him, and he was here for four weeks. And I don't know that he did another interview until that that last one in in New England, which was just epic. Right. Um, but with Randy, it was never a blanket no comment. I'm, I'd never do interviews, but it was very uh, rarely did he do them. And so you had to like walk up and get shot down every day because you never knew that was going to be the day he talked. And when he talked, it was gold. He was great. But it's almost like we would, you know, rock, paper, scissors, see who was going to approach him today because you'd get screamed at. Right. You know, but you had to go through that because you can't assume he would not do the interview. It's the weirdest. I said it's such a weird relationship. Like doing, all right, I've told this on this podcast before. One of my favorite stories I've heard, Bacheroni at ESPN told me once when he was covering um, the Yankees as a beat writer for the New York Times, one day he, uh, he like broke his thumb and he showed up and he'd been covering the Yankees for years. And he shows up, and one person asks, what happened to your thumb? The thing is in a splint. And, <laughs> and meanwhile, like, he's, you know, Shane Spencer sprains his toe. He yeah, has to worry yeah, about it. Yeah. It's such a one-sided relationship, yeah. isn't it? Oh, it is. And, uh, I mean, you'd walk up to Randy and say, Randy, you talking to You better get away from, get away from my uh, locker. And he'd just scream at you and be like, all right. right. And you try the next day. Randy, you talking to No, get away. Right. Um, but, it, you know, the last day we were at uh, – the Vikings had played at, uh, and because he, uh, the NFL has rules that, you know, your stars have to talk. Well, our chapter writers turned in that he wasn't talking, so he got fined that week. Yeah. I think it was 10000 if I remember correctly. Um, you must have loved that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so they play at New England. going back there where he was at and had great success with Brady. And, you know, they get beat. He didn't have uh, that good a game. And, as you know, in the NFL, they have a the locker room and then they have an interview room, which mm-hmm. the coach and the and the quarterback typically go in the in the interview room. And everybody else uh, works, you know, does their interviews in the locker room. And so we're standing outside his, you know, his locker there, and he's getting dressed. And he turns around, and he's like, "You guys don't need to see a grown man get dressed. I'm going to the podium." And that's so. <laughs> so we're like. You know, we'll see, like, the PR guy fade in the background. <laughs> and so I, I leave the locker room, and, and my uh, colleague, Judd Zolga, at the time, he was in the other room doing the coaching, and uh, it would have been, uh, I forget who the quarterback Match? was. Oh. Yeah, far. Yeah. And so I go in, and he comes in, and he's, he's like, what's going on? I said, Moss says he's coming to the podium. And everybody's like, oh, boy, here we go. And that's where he gets up there, and he basically just says how much he loves the Patriots. Patriots. And his last thing, he's like, Bill Belichick, I salute you. And he walks off, and we got him and said, he's done. Right. There's no way he's playing another down. And you can tell it's basically his, his way of saying, get me out of here. And sure enough, they right. cut him like two days later. Man. Yeah. But that's, 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 that's a relationship you, know, you talk about. It's like it's an awkward dance. But when you have an athlete like that that is, can be combative, it's like you never know, like from day to day, where you, where you stand or where you're gonna get. You know. The thing I always struggled with with that is like, it's kind of weird. Like, um, I feel awful if I don't return an email to someone. Yeah. Like someone's like, yeah. hey Jeff, blah blah blah. You know, I liked your book. Just the sample. Yeah. I liked your book. To not write that person back if I forget, it weighs on me. Yeah. And I think like, I never understood. Like Randy Moss, you have a job to do. Yeah. He knows you have a job to do. Yeah. Like, and I've never really liked when athletes. Just don't give a shit about that. Well, you have a job to do. Well, yeah, and it's, um, you know, it, it, there's such a pack mentality now because there's so many people that are covering the NFL, and you go into the NFL locker room during your access period, it's 45 minutes. Right. And if, and players know it, they know the exact time, so they try to avoid right. it. And if one guy happens to wander in there, it is like just attack. I mean, he gets bombarded because. Right. You may only have a couple guys come in there that are, you know, that, that are that you can interview, and so it's it makes it hard. That's the thing that's frustrating to me, like in today's journalism, is everything is you're just a face in the crowd, and it's so hard to get guys away from the pack. Whether if if you're doing a group interview with 20 people, you're not getting the same. Well, why has that changed? What do you mean as far as the face in the crowd as opposed to how it used to? Well, because there's so many people, right. so many outlets now. I mean, back in the day, there'd be with two newspapers or whatever, and you have a couple beat guys in there, maybe some TVs would show up, but the NFL is so big now, particularly, I'm talking about the NFL specifically, yeah. that you have, you know, papers have four or five beat guys, you have uh, online, you have different websites, and so, and, and, and 
the TV stations, and so, you know, you may have 25, 35 media people in their locker room on any given day, and you have 45 minutes to interview, and maybe six guys come in the locker room, or seven, or ten, whatever, during that time, you're not getting a one-on-one, unless you set it up, and so that's, you have to kind of work around that, and just say to the team's PR, hey, can I get a one-on-one with the guy so you can actually sit down and have a conversation with someone versus trying to get one question in with, you know, 20 other people? Is the answer usually yes when you're upset? Uh, it depends. You know, it depends on who it is, what you're working on, um, their schedule. But by and large, I would say the Vikings are very good. Yeah. And, and most, um, and, and the other uh, teams in town are good in right. terms of, hey, I just want to sit down and have a 10-minute I mean, I'm not asking for an hour, you know, right. but just, you know, if you want to do a column with somebody, like I did one on Limbaugh Joseph, their nose tackle, I said, can I get him one-on-one for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes? They put us in a room, like the actual defensive line meeting room. Yeah. It, was, it was great. Right. You never gotten that in the locker room, never. Now, do you view, when you ask for 10, like <laughs> my thing is 10, he's 30, you know? No, I, I try not to do that because, you know, they only have a limited time. But does 10 mean 20? Uh, maybe 15, yeah, you know, right. until he starts looking at his watch or whatever, you right. know, a guy. But, yeah, you try to push it as much as you can, but you also – I also try to be respectful of – I don't want him to walk out of there and be like, man, this guy told me 10 and he took 30. Yeah. I'm never doing that again. Right. Versus, you know, he said 10, I did 15. I have a friend who did a uh, – she did a Sean McVay profile recently. Yeah. And the Rams, writing for a national outlet, gave her – four minutes and they said you can have four minutes and I told her I was like four means 10 to 15 yeah nope four minutes with the PR guy sitting there and I thought that yeah what do you number one what's the point and number two like aren't you trying to sell your product exactly and it's I'm guessing it was probably a pretty favorable piece too. You would right? think so. And I'm also like a year ago when the Rams sucked. Yeah. They, you know, like <laughs> they were you might want to interview them? Yeah. 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 Well, and you're gonna suck again. That's the thing. You're gonna suck again. And people remember this kind of treatment. I it, think. Yeah. It's it's. Um, it, it, and you hear horror stories from other markets, but I will say, you know, by and large, um, the the PR people we do in town here, are, I mean, if you have a good track record with them. They're good. They're good. They'll definitely help you. So how do you, with the saturation of media and the NFL coverage, um, how do you write a column or come up with a column topic that isn't just another, look at Keenum, he's yeah, doing great, yeah, or, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, how do you how do you find it? It's hard. I mean, that's the thing. It's it's because um, you feel like every angle's been written. And to, to stay fresh or just come up with something that's... Um, you know, different than, than everything that's already been written on. It, I mean, it's, it's hard. So you try to, you know, look at his background or look at, you know, one specific, drill down on one specific thing he does. Um, there's, you know, there's a, um, and you, you always hear, think outside the box. Um, the Vikings have a guy, Marcus Sherrill's punt returner, very quiet, probably the most unassuming pro athlete you've ever seen in your life. 5'11", 170 pounds, really good, probably their best punt return team history, but he does not say anything. Uh-huh. He's a really good guy. I've been, uh, known him and his brother for years and have a close relationship with him. Um, but And he's a rags to riches. He got a, he started as a undrafted, just tryout guy. Where did he go to college? Minnesota. Uh-huh. And he wasn't drafted, wasn't even a signed undrafted guy. They just said, hey, you want to come to a tryout? He got two reps his first day. He was on his way to law school. He said, well, I'll give him one more day. Now he's had, a, I think, a seven-year career. He's their all-time leading punt, probably the best punt returner ever that they've had. But anyways, you know if you do a story or column on him, you're getting nothing. And he's a great guy. I, I mean, I have a really good relationship, but he just doesn't talk about himself. So I wanted to do a column on him. He's having a good year a couple years ago, and I said, you know what? In the spirit of Marcus not saying anything, I'm going to go around to every one of his teammates and asked him for one word to describe Marcus. Oh, that's great. And so I, I got, I think I wound up getting 48 guys. And some of the answers, like one guy told me squirrely. I don't even know what that. Right. But, uh, and it wasn't all quiet. I mean, I yeah. got a lot of the quiets, but but he's very popular. And so just the wide range of, of answers I got. And that's, my column was just the one word answers that each guy gave me. 
What did he think of the column, or did he even? Well, it's funny because I, I circled back with him. He was the last guy, and I said, "Hey, I'm doing this column." And he's like, "Yeah, I know. I heard." <laughs> I said, "All right, give me. You get the last word. Uh, uh, what's your one word?" And, and he had the one that a lot of guys said was uh, determined. It would have been so funny if his word was like disinterested. <laughs> That'd be a great way to bored. Bored. That'd be a great Bored. I'm bored with this. That's really yeah. funny. Yeah. That's really good. So I mean, that's an example. Like, you have to. And I'm, I'm, I wish I could do that every time, but you have to try to do stuff like that to separate, you know, just the, from the everyday. Well, it's tough also because people don't want, like, people do want to know about Case Keenum. Yes. Like, that's the reality of it. People want to know this guy's a quarterback. They don't want to know about the, the third-string quarterback who you could write about all day. Right. So, yeah. so if you're writing about Case Keenum, and people want to know stuff that's kind of predictable in a way so yeah. I mean what I mean is they, they want to know why this is working and blah blah yeah. blah so is there a way to approach Case Keenum well and that's the thing is like, and that's the challenge is that NFL quarterbacks you get once a week in a group setting yeah. you know, there's no now if it's a special the athletic he, he was uh, our, our Minnesota athletic named him the, uh, the uh, sports person of the year this year each yeah. market did one so he was it so you get you get some access like that but but just the regular hand will do a column on Case Keenum you're not getting them one on one right and so you have to figure out okay how am I going to write a Case Keenum column without really getting Case Keenum right and you could go there and ask him one or two questions in this you know this group thing but um, so I mean that's what I'm saying you maybe have to drill down on why is this guy uh, such a good scrambler or where, where did, you know, how did he develop that part of his, and then maybe talk to his high school coach or his parents or his dad or, you know, kind of work the fringes more than than try to just go with and follow the pack and right. stand there for, you know, 15 minutes. And I don't know how much you're getting out of those group things anyways. You know? See, if I were in your shoes, I would never want to write about Case Keenum, and I would find that the challenge. Like I, It's hard because he's such a big story. Right. So it's almost like I understand what you're saying, but you have to obviously. Like uh, you're ignoring the the biggest story that you know, or one of the best stories in NFL this year. Right. And so I think you're right. The 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 challenge is how do you keep writing things that are fresh, right, and not the same thing over and over. And that's that's the challenge that we that we face. And because and the other thing is, you know, we have three columnists at our paper and three Vikings beat writers. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, it's, it's uh, it's a balancing act. Are you ever like, do you ever have moments where you're like, I don't really give a shit. Like I just, <laughs> no, I'm being serious about that. Like, cause we're about the same age and like, yeah. I, I kind of checked out of sports <laughs> as far as like I was writing for SI and I just kind of yeah. got tired of writing about baseball and I was just like, yeah. all right, I'm gone. Like you don't, you, you seem. No, I still have passion for it. I mean, uh, I will say I don't, um, I used to get. As a beat guy, I used to get worked up and like, ah, I gotta have this guy today. I get, you know, he's blowing me off again. Now it's just like, I don't care. Right. You know, if he blows me off, he blows me off. I'll just write something else. Right. I don't, it, it, I don't let that bother me as much as I used to. Um, you know, it used to be, it's almost like you're a prisoner to access, and your coverage is dictated by as a beat guy, who can I get this day, this day? If I'm blowing off, oh, I can't, I can't do the story I'm supposed to do. Right. As a columnist, you have more freedom to say, you know, if this guy doesn't want to talk to me, that's fine. I'll pick out another good story. Yeah. What's the most angry an athlete's ever been to you? Expressed uh, anger. Um, it's funny. I won't, I won't say who, but uh, there was a local athlete that was just had a conversation with here in the last couple of weeks. Was not happy about something I wrote. Right. And uh, face to face. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I, I and it was from way back, from like a year and a half ago. Really? Yeah. And. Uh, and he, you know, he gave it to me pretty good. So how do you say when someone is is giving it to you pretty yeah. good? What do you do? I, well, first I, I was like, I wasn't sure where he's coming from, and then he explained, and and, uh, and I said, well, this was my opinion. This is what I thought, and, and uh, there's a he felt something got misinterpreted right. um, from a third party. It's probably more confusing, but I just said, hey, I, I told him, I said, why did you wait so long? To oh, that's what you said? Yeah, I said, I said, it's not like I never come out here. And I hadn't sat down with him and done a one-on-one. I'd done group stuff with him right. before. And uh, he said, well, I just want to get off my chest. I said, well, I'm never going to hide. Right. And I'm a, you know, I'm a grown man. If you don't like something, 
call me or, or have me say you want me to come in here and scream at me. I don't care. Right. I mean, this is, Did that diffuse it at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. we had a great interview. Oh, so yeah. funny. Yeah. I mean, he said, I just want to get this off my chest. I said, well, I'm glad you did. Right. I mean, it's because it, that's the thing is like I never, ever because I came from a, a beat writer and I never even thought about being a columnist. I just thought I'd be a beat guy. The rest never. Of never. No. And they approached me and I was like, really? But I never, I said, I'm never going to be one of those guys that lobs bombs from 20 miles away. Which is a popular thing to be now. I'm just not going to do it, yeah. you know. And um, and so I always want to be around, always want to be accountable. And if somebody doesn't like what I write, then I'll sit there and they can cuss me out if they want. I mean, it's, it does not make you nervous. Mm. Now, 10 years ago, I might have. Right. But now it's just like, right. It's just what are you gonna do? It's just, a, it's just a grown man yelling at me. Right, right, right. That's <laughs> you know, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't bother me. It's right. Like, and I think it's better just to let them have at it, and you know, if they want to get it off their chest, then you can just move on. Just say, hey, we'll either agree or disagree, or I screwed that up, or I understand your perspective, or whatever right. the situation is i actually had a i had one of my early guests in this podcast was a pro publica writer named jessica useman and i asked her about getting chewed out by politicians she covers politics and she said when someone is screaming at you i always say to myself i got them now because at some point they're going to feel guilty about it and they're going to feel bad about it and then i'll actually be more open to talking to you (laughs) no i mean it's yeah it's like at the end we had a really good interview and at the end i was like hey you know like i said you have my number if you if you don't like anything i like or i write or you think i was off right call me right you know what's a better uh you've covered so you've covered as a b writer you cover college football yeah cover the minnesota timberwolves and you cover the minnesota wild yeah and you cover preps yeah um favorite to least ranking in terms of just enjoyment in your life um college football by far is my favorite sport to cover Uh um so i'd put that one vikings two i love preps yeah, it's and almost it, like one of those things you don't know where you got to. It's gone. It's funny. Um, and it, I love I love the NBA. Hockey, I'm not a. It's not my. You know, I grew up in Tennessee, so yeah. it's not, I didn't grow up with hockey. Right. Um, but the the guys are awesome. the nicest it's, athletes you find. It's awesome to deal with. Um, but it's funny, like there's so many good stories at the high school level. Yeah. And I always say. I know everybody, every young writer wants to come out and cover the NFL for the biggest yeah. paper. I said, I, I think there's value, especially when we did it. I don't want to sound like, you know, the over-the-hill guys, but yeah. when you had a, had to trash 80 and you had to jump the fence to get to the McDonald's, the file, I mean, it, there's yeah. something to be. But, it, you know, covering preps here, so I started when I first got here, Joe Maurer, oh, yeah. Larry Fitzgerald, and I... Like I consider Larry Fitzgerald a friend now, and we I've known him since he's 17 years old. We you know we'll trade texts, and every time I see him, he's like, "You were there for me at the beginning," uh-huh. you know. And, and Maurer, I still every time I see him, we'll talk about how he used to come down to our paper for our all metro photo shoots, and we get him pizza. And, and you see, I think it's cool when you see guys like when they're just 16, 17 years old, yeah. and then they become pro. They're like your you, guys in a way. And then you have you you develop a relationship with them. Um, but there there's so many good stories. Um, that I think it's valuable for any young writer to have to start there, kind of learn, learn and fail, oh, yeah. right, and do stupid things that you know you probably you probably wish you wouldn't have written or whatever. If you would pay me the money I get to write a book to cover preps for two years, no, yeah. I'd do it in a second. <laughs> I think preps. I think I know. Like, there are a million writers who just want to get off preps to cover yeah. the Vikings or the yeah. Bills or the Yankees or whatever. Yeah. I just think preps, you're getting access. Everyone wants you to talk to them. You know, like... There's good stories. Oh, great stories. There's great stories. And, and that's... And I know it's kind of the entry level and then you go up, but it, it, every time when I go do a prep story now, I'm like, that's sort of refreshing that someone actually sits down and talks to you and there's not 40 other reporters there interviewing them and you can mine out good stories so um i i you know i covered preps in houston houston post yeah houston westport post. news yeah fayetteville observer times yeah. chicago yeah. tribune and now the star tribune yeah. and it, when i worked in chicago i was so desperate to get on the tribune like i so you said it was a one-year program right so i was there two years 
but the second year they had this is they they called it an apprenticeship i think is what it was but they hired you full-time for one year and i like so desperately wanted to get that and so desperately wanted to have my byline in the chicago tribune like so i was freelancing for it for a year and honest to god i would do like three things a day i'd cover like three games i'd do a game in the morning game in the afternoon something at night i mean i was just working nonstop to try to you know Proved them I would do whatever you wanted me to do. Yeah. And, uh, and so, I mean, covering high schools in, in Chicago, you know, some of the basketball there and football is just so good. some of the best, you know, memories of my life. Right. Uh, and, you know, you're like, like when you saw, when you're a young guy and you see your name in the Chicago Tribune, you're like, that's what I died going to heaven, yeah. you know, so... Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, I want to talk about style a little bit because I mean, I, I haven't talked to anyone about this as far as specifically. I was reading a lot of your stuff, mm-hmm. and you and I do something similar, which is this: Par- lead, second paragraph, short quote, yeah. paragraph. Like, did it, did it, did it. You know, when when John Smith, blah 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 blah, second paragraph. Now Smith is doing so and so, and then this kind of paragraph, a quote. Really, he said, I want to make it, yeah. right? Yeah. And then blah, blah, blah. And I wonder, like, how do you, like, sometimes I get mad at myself because I feel like I use the same, like, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, over and over and over again. Is that, is that your, I don't know if that's the same thing as your voice or you're just your style. I don't know. Yeah, I know, but I. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, I, I, I'm the same way, yeah. Right. I, 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 like. Don't write the same format. Like right. but I, Not that anyone's paying attention to now. Huh? <laughs> I know. Uh, Bessie, uh, yeah, uh, fucking Scoggins, right? He's the same cheerleader in a quote. I know, but you go home and it's like, Jesus, I'm just... <laughs> um, yeah, I don't... It's... it's uh, well, some guy wrote me, he's like, you also just... I guess I have this habit, I don't even know this, but he's like, you have like one sentence paragraphs a lot. Oh, funny. Yeah, I, I do that. And, and it's like... There's something I hate like big chunky paragraphs. Oh, I love them. It's so I, it, funny. It, yeah. I, I can't. There's like there's something in my fingertips will not allow me. To have right. Big, I have to hit enter. You right. know, it's like I, I hate. I don't think I will. Rarely will I put three sentences in a paragraph. So interesting. And is it because of the way it literally visually looks yes. to you when you see yes. it in the paper? Yes. And I don't know if there's, there's something screwed up in my brain or what but when i read like a big chunky paragraph i don't like it i don't like it so i break up like i'll it's probably not journalism teachers probably you know pull their hair out reading it but i like shorter sentences shorter paragraphs shorter paragraphs and not having like just one or two sentences in a paragraph and then go on to the next it's so funny i always said like every time i write a story every time i still put at the top and i don't send in this way but at the top i write by jeff perlman Uppercase, Y, lowercase, Jeff Roman, all caps, and then return staff writer. Because when I was at the University of Delaware, every article I wrote, I did that exact same thing, yeah. and I still do it. So I think a lot of this is like just what, it's almost like what looks right to you. And think about how many stories, columns, articles you've written in your yeah. career. I mean, thousands, hundreds, thousands, thousands yeah, right. you know, and so you just kind of, in your mind, is this is how I do it, and other people are different, but this is just sort of my style. And, and um, as much as you try to be, do things differently or, be, you know, all right, this this story, I'm going to have a different format or a different flow to it. Right. I still fall back to who you are as a writer. You right. Know? Right. It's weird. Yeah. It's so, confusing. Yeah, some guy's like, ah, I like how you do it. And another guy's like, <laughs> to me, he's like, why do you always have, like, <laughs> Like, I don't know. It's just right. how I write. This is what I do. <laughs> it's just I who I am. I don't know. That's so funny. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of lost in it. Um, you wrote a story, July 23rd, 2016, I thought was really good. Uh, the headline is, uh, Former Gophers Share Bond of Donated Kidney. That's not a headline. That's not a headline you see every day. Yeah. Uh, Doobie Curruns? Yeah. Uh, Curris. Learned last fall that his former Gophers football teammate, Ed Hawthorne, was sick and desperately needed a kidney transplant. On the surface, those two shared little in common as college students, other than being teammates in the early 1990s. Uh, Hawthorne is a black man from Missouri who became team captain of all Big Ten nose tackle. Uh, Curtis is a white New Jersey native who joined the Gophers as a walk-on and played sparingly. Uh, they viewed themselves as brothers, though, a bond forged by football. Teammates look out for each other. They take care of each other. They pick each other up when one gets knocked down on the field or in life. Okay. So what I really like about the writing there, and what I think is good, and that I think is one of those things that's very hard to learn if you're a young writer, is like, that's not you quoting someone saying yeah. they viewed themselves as brothers. Teammate, the teammates look out for each other. They take care of each other. Like, you are saying that. Yeah. You're almost like the narrator to the reader. 
how do you know what to sort of how, like? How are you guiding a column or a piece? Yeah, it's. I, I think um, the more you write, the older you get, the more confident you get. Definitely. The more like I don't say worldly knowledge, but just you feel more confident writing things. When you're a young person, you're like. Is this going to sound weird coming from a 22-year-old writing with authority on something versus, you know, you've, you've been in the business, like, it was 25 years, you just feel more confident, and you've been around, you know. Um, Do you feel like you know how athletes think yeah, more or less? Yeah, yeah, because you've, you know, you've, we've been in locker rooms for two decades, yeah. and you know kind of the bond, um, especially, especially in football, I think it's different because that's it sort of breeds that that mentality and that and that relationship so i think just the more experience you have as a writer in covering different things you just feel like you got a better grasp of how things work and so you can write with more authority so does it give you a, a narrative voice and maybe a younger writer you wouldn't have as a younger writer oh i without doubt yeah without doubt i mean i you know the 24 year old me probably thought i knew what the heck i was writing but right. you don't um, Youth is wasted on the young. (laughs) And so, yeah, you just, I I just, and the more I'm, um, and even like when I first became a columnist, I really struggled with getting out of that beat writer mentality because I'd been a beat writer for however many years, 20 years. And so it was like breaking from, I got to toe the line, I can't really have an opinion, to now all of a sudden I got to have an opinion. It was hard the first couple of years where just like really expressing because I, I still was in that kind of beat writer mentality. Like I, I'm not supposed to say these things, right. you know. Right. And so, but the more you write in that column mentality, the more comfortable you are, the more just self-assured in your skin and what right. you're writing. Do you, do you find that um, with the emergence of the Skip Baylesses, the Stephen A. Smiths, the Jason Whitlock, the, you know, on and on and on, the, like you said, the bomb throwers. Yeah. That there is any pressure on journalists to be more bomb throwing. Well, it, that's a fascinating thing because it, 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 it feels like the profession, and I'm not just seeing out any one mm-hmm. writer, but just the profession is a lot of look at me. More than it used to be, by far. By far. And... You're almost rewarded for that, and I just, I just, I, that's just not my personality, and, and it's not, that's not the calmness I want to be. Right. Um, I do want to note that you are sitting here wearing how many gold chains are on your neck right now? <laughs> that's right. Really, with a uh, with a t-shirt. I just want to say, a shirt says, "I am Chip." You read me. It's that's really right. awkward. That's right. <laughs> I knew it uh, as soon as you walked in, by the way. Uh, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, you'd hope there's room for like thoughtful rational not have to just get hysterical uh everything doesn't have to be over the top knee jerk just scream as loud as you possibly can i just that just doesn't appeal to me right. i mean some people it does and i mean i'm sure there's there's room for that because it's obviously you know people use that that style but it's just that's just not how i ever wanted to be right and um does that make me lesser of a column? I don't know. Oh, it does, though. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're kind of a loser. <laughs> Take that right from me. <laughs> do you, like, do you, um, it's, you seem like a pretty low-key sort like, you, you have never had, like, have you ever had the dream of being, I mean, it's, now it's a little obsolete, but the Sports yeah. Illustrated Backpage columnist or ESPN.com. You know, you know, you know what's funny? When I was growing up, my dream, like, if I could have had this job, I would have died and gone to heaven. I wanted to be the national college football and basketball writer for Atlanta Journal Constitution. Right. To me, that was the pinnacle. Right. There was no higher than that. That was all I ever dreamed of uh, being uh, growing up in the South and reading that paper. Um, but nah, it, as I kind of climbed, I just always wanted to be, um, you know, cover a main beat at a big paper. Yeah. And never, and being a columnist wasn't on my radar. Um yeah, I mean, I think we all would love to be Wright Thompson. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, you'd be able to write takeouts like that, but, you know, then you read him and, like... Right, maybe not. I feel like I'm, you know... Right. A kindergartner, right, with crayons. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, like, when I was growing up, it's like... Yeah, as we were saying, Rick Riley. I wanted to be Rick Riley. Right. You want to be Gary Smith. Right. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that would be... If you could write big 10,000 word takeouts for a magazine that would be a pretty cool yeah 
gig, but I'm not sure that's in the cards for me. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see a final question I wonder about. Because I, I feel this too sometimes. Uh, as I get older, you know, it used to be when I started covering sports, it'd be like, I don't know, Gary Sheffield and Sean Green. They were contemporaries. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of like, hey, what's up? You yeah, know, yeah. Hey, blah, 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 whatever. You know, like, what are you listening to? You know, J.D. Drew, what, kind of, what yeah. movie are you seeing? Do you find your approach, relationship, anything changes in relation to athletes you are covering because of the widening? You're now the age of managers more than... Yeah, it, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I try to stay hip. I have three kids and two yeah. in high school. Right. So I, try I feel to... like just by even by saying I try to stay hip, you are not hip. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure the uh, I'm sure athletes look at uh, look at this old guy. He's got gray hair. Right. Just, you know. Um, but it, you know, I, I think whether you're young or old, if you're if you ask good questions and you're thoughtful and you listen, I think athletes will respect you. Right. And I think that more than anything that. Um, yeah, I mean, I may not listen to the same music or as I did when I was 20-something, or I can't talk to him about the same things probably. But but if you if you show genuine interest in an athlete, like hey, I'm, I'm generally curious about this, about your life, about what you did on that play, whatever, and you ask good questions, I think by and large guys will respect you. And what, wait, what's what separates good question versus bad question? I wasn't going to ask that. But. Um, like you approach an athlete, what's a well, open-ended for one. Yeah. Not talk about. <laughs> right. Talk about that. Play. Talk about talk about that play. Yeah. But um, you know, hey, you pulled on that play. You're ten yards downfield blocking. You know, what kind of skill set does that take, or how do you develop that? Um, you know, that that talent to be able to run downfield and get that block. You know, I mean, just open-ended questions where you're generally curious versus just trying to get. Right, a soundbite. A soundbite to put in a... So, I think it's just more conversational. Right. Um, and, you know, just having a general curiosity about what... Because not all athletes are fascinating, but they do stuff that we can't do. Right. Physically. Right. And so, if you have a general, a genuine curiosity about, you know, what makes this guy really good at this one thing... Right. And try to drill down on that, I think, you know, you'll... You'll earn the respect. Yeah, that's well said. I always think like if I go up to whoever and I can say, and I can say, so your your mom, she was a she was a surfer, right? Or I can say, so you're from Gary, Indiana. I was in Gary, Indiana. I think like that takes you a super long way. hundred percent. If you just show up and you're not prepared, but if you know something about a guy's background or um, like not just what they hit last year. I yeah. mean, literally like. You're from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Oh my yeah. God! Did you ever go to the ice cream place on so and so? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, that's you know, like Case Keenum. He's from Avalon, Texas. Right. It's like, hey, you know, you won your high school's only state tournament or only state title right. at the high school you went to. I mean, what kind of? That must have been a huge deal down there. What was the team like? Blah blah. blah. Yeah, I think guys are going to be like, well, this guy did his homework. Right. He knows he's not just out to try to get a quote from me. He's like, actually took time to invest. Right. In you know my background. So I think that like. Definitely that being prepared if you have like a one-on-one or just chit-chatting with guys in the locker room. Right. And that's that's the other thing I've tried to do. So when the pack goes this way, walk over and talk to someone else. Yep. Even if you don't have your tape recorder out, just sort of my thing is college football and where these guys win. It's like, ah, right, you know, you went to Oklahoma, God, they got a big game this week. What do you, you know, yeah. you talk to them about their alma mater and you know what's going on, or maybe in their high school. Guys love that. Yeah. You know, then they're like, yeah, next time you come up there, you may not know your name, but they'll remember, yeah, this guy was good to talk to. When I was at Sports Illustrated, I was uh, Tom Verducci's, like, I was a number two baseball writer. Verducci was number one. And the one thing I always say that I watched Verducci do is he would go into the Yankee clubhouse after a game, and everyone would head to, to Derek Jeter, and he would find a middle reliever. Yeah. And number one, he would, he would get stuff no one else had. And number two, he would wait till everyone left Jeter, and then he would go up to Jeter. Yeah. I always thought that was like, it was a good lesson in that one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's as much as you can separate yourself from just being, a, like I said earlier, a face in the crowd. Right. And you, even if it's not Q&A interviewing, if it's just small talk, introducing yourself, blah, 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 that's... That's how you build it in, in, a, in a time when it's hard to separate yourself when it's just so limited access and yeah. so many people doing the job now. Uh, let me throw one more at you then. Yeah. Are we done? Yeah. Uh, 
the Vikings make the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is in Minnesota. Yeah. Nightmare or dream for you? I love it. You I, do? I, yeah, because I... Well, here's... Uh, I'll tell you the nightmare part. Covering. 8.30 a.m. Monday morning after the Super Bowl. I have a flight to South Korea to cover the Olympics. Whoa. <laughs> I know. Wow. I know. Yeah. So I won't be on uh, sleep deprived. But yeah. you know what? I mean, as you know, you root for big stories. People always say... Um, do you root for teams? I root for one team that's Tennessee Volunteers football, but well, that's going well for you. Yeah, I know that was, that was a great coaching story. <laughs> uh, no, you root for good stories, and that would be a hell of a story. Right. And so, and and the bigger the story, the more people are reading your stuff. So right. Why, and the more you can write. Like when a team's terrible, it's like do I really want to? You know, what am I going to say right. about this? I mean, yeah, for the tenth straight day, talk about how terrible you are. Well, nobody wants to do that. Right. But fans the board when a team's doing well you can't write enough and right as a writer it's like that's awesome right you know yeah more eyes on your your stuff yeah totally um i appreciate you doing this yeah it's and great i um, hope you're not too cold here no yeah I'm wait okay. till winter gets here I, you know i don't want to brag to you but um <laughs> i probably told you this but i'm staying at the uh, pretty one of your sweeter hotels the uh, uh it's called the days Inn in mounds valley <laughs> i don't know if you've been there there's a little mold on the ceiling but you i think points I for that yeah <laughs> So I don't want to make you jealous. Yeah. Right? It's kind of big time. Well, you're going to get out of town before it gets really cool yeah. here. Yeah. I know. Well, thanks a lot. Yeah, I thanks for having it. me. I appreciate it. I want to thank today's guest, Chip Scoggins, for joining me on Two Writers Slinging Yang. You can follow Chip on Twitter, at Chip Scoggins. One can listen to Two Writers Slinging Yang on both iTunes and, for this final episode, on Bumpers.fm. So there's a programming note. Starting next week, we'll be available still on iTunes, but also on Anchor. Bumpers, sadly, is going the way of the Edsel. Reviews are always appreciated. The music is by the great MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me. And remember, keep writing. Thank you.